All right, everyone. Welcome to our first ever Student Sunday. <laughs> um, my name is Eleanor. I just graduated high school this year, and I'm heading off to college next or this week, actually. Hi, everyone. I'm Fuchsia Baxter, and I'm in eighth grade. If you're new or newer to New Life Downtown, hi and welcome. And we'd love to get to meet you after service at the Welcome Center, right out these doors. And at New Life next September 10th. We're gearing up to launch our meal groups this fall, which are basically our version of small groups here. Um, so if you're interested in leading a meal group, please go ahead and talk to Pastor Blake Cataldo after service or email Jay Benson. On Tuesday, August 22nd at 6.30 p.m. at Nueva Vida, please join us for our Celebrate Recovery launch. <laughs> Celebrate Recovery is a Christ-centered healing and care ministry for anyone struggling with a hurt, hang-up, or habit. <laughs> it's a safe place to find community and freedom. To get involved, contact Pastor Ken Harmon. So one of the things we do every week here at New Life Downtown is practice generosity. So there are four ways to give up on the screen, um, and we just ask that you give generously, knowing that when you give, you're giving to and investing in the next generation. Um, and so kind of jumping off of that, I just wanted to share a little bit about how student ministry here at New Life Downtown has impacted my life over the last four years. Um, so if you know anything about our high school youth group, you know we're not the biggest. Um, and honestly, I love that because it forms a really tightly woven community between us. It gives us the chance to form more meaningful relationships with one another, gives leaders the chance to invest in us individually, and it creates a really loving, welcoming environment. I feel safe there, and I can be vulnerable with our youth group in a way I've never really experienced outside my own family. I've bared my soul to these people, and I've definitely cried my fair share of times. Um, there was one time people were praying over me for healing, and I cried so hard I had snot dangling out of my nose. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't just like at the tip of the nostril, it was hanging. Um, <laughs> and I couldn't do anything about it either because people were holding both my hands. So it was pretty disgusting, um, but it was also a precious, precious moment because that kind of vulnerability is a treasure. Our student ministry has taught me just how much fellowship impacts faith. It's that verse everyone loves to quote when fellowship comes up. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am among them. But we say it a lot because it's true. Faith is not a solo act, and student ministry helps me realize that. Before joining our student ministry, I really didn't have much of a faith community to turn to. Um, but now I have people I can go to with my highest highs and my lowest lows, people to sit with in real discussions about God, and people to walk alongside me in my spiritual journey, loving me deeply every step of the way. And while this is my last Sunday before I move to college, I think I'll always carry this community with me wherever I end up. Now, will you take a moment to quiet your hearts and minds to hear the word of the Lord?
Good morning. My name is Emily, and the Old Testament reading is found in Zechariah 8, verses 3 through 5. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age. The city streets will be filled with, the, with boys and girls playing there. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Caleb. The New Testament reading is found in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. That which was, fr was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you, with, to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Matthew. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 49. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among the relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? The Gospel of the Lord. Remain standing as we pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for how you are moving and acting and speaking to the next generation. Thank you that right now we get a tangible visualization of that, what that looks like. And God, I pray that you would continue to speak to us as we continue this service. Praise in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to New Life Downtown. My name is Brock. And I am our student pastor here at New Life Downtown. I want to give a special shout out to the Jackson family watching from a hospital in Wichita. We love you guys. We're praying for you. We have been praying for you and contending for you for a couple of weeks. And Cora, we're so glad you're doing a bit better. And we're praying for continued healing and restoration over your body. We love you guys so much. And today, we're wrapping up our series on the Psalms of Ascent. So all summer, we've been traveling, journeying together, recognizing that the Psalms of Ascent were 15 psalms 
sung together and heard together by the Hebrew pilgrims on their way back to Jerusalem for festivals, probably about three times a year. And they were also the Psalms that were sung as they were allowed to go from exile back to their homeland. They would sing these Psalms as well, right? They were, Jerusalem was the highest city in Palestine and they would spend much of their time ascending. And so they would, there was a physical ascent, but also these Psalms represent a spiritual ascent that our journey of faith is to God with God. And these Psalms remind us we are a pilgrim people on the way to God. We are on the uh, pilgrim people on the way to God. But as we've been studying these Psalms, we've been, we've been listening to them and studying them. And as I've been hearing them, I've just wondered what it was like for the young and the old to travel together. I wonder what it was like for families to travel together. Have you ever traveled with young kids? <laughs> I imagine that the journey was filled with just this beautiful, wonderful hike, naps whenever you wanted. There was no nagging. Right, you could stop and just, it was relaxing probably with young kids. No, that's not the case. I'm imagining the journey with my own family. I have a four-year-old four Hudson and an 11-month-old, and I'm imagining the journey with my kids and my wife, Hannah, and I'm just imagining we're, we're on the road together. We're, we're traveling with maybe this community, right? And I just imagine Hudson saying, Dad, can I have a banana? No, you've, you've had three already, and it's 9 a.m., and the peel for the last one is actually on the floor right now, so No. Okay, then I'll just have a go-go squeeze, right? Um, can I watch the line signs? No, we're walking together, and it's actually thousands of years before we even know who Einstein is. So no, we, we can't watch the line signs right now, right? Like, I'm just imagining the journey did not, uh, was not an easy journey with kids, right? And I'm imagining uh, younger gener- generations and older generations. I imagine the older generation maybe uh, looking on younger generations, parenting their kids and saying, well, if we, back in our day... <laughs> They wouldn't be behaving like that, right? Why are they wearing that? Like, why does their tunic have holes in it? Did they buy it like that? In my day, holes in your tunic was a sign for a new tunic. You didn't buy it like that, right? I'm just imagining that the the journey was filled with probably some generational complexities, right? Um, And it makes me really question whoever wrote Psalm 127. It It says this in Psalm 127. I'm imagining moms and dads and their kids walking, walking together. Um, it says, children are a, a heritage from the Lord. I imagine when dads got to this point in the, in the, the Psalms of Ascent as they're singing, I just imagine like them just like kind of mumbling it under their breath, right? Children are a heritage from the Lord. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full. Moms like elbowing him. Yes, what a blessing. What a real blessing this is, right? Um, and I just, we, we all know that traveling with different generations is tough. And actually doing faith and the journey of faith in the church is actually pretty complex. Like, how do we best do this together? But the church is not the only place that's asking that question. We see that in families. We see that in workplaces. We see that in government. How do we best work well with different generations? This is why there's three articles a week that come out on how to best engage with the next generation in the workplace. All right, how, to, how to get your boomer boss to give you that raise you think you deserve, Right? How to get Gen Z to actually show up in the workplace, right? This is why we see these articles. This is tough, and it's not easy, and it's not something new. But if each of these psalms were heard by every generation, if they were sung by every generation, that means we actually need each other. That the young needs the old, and the old need the young. 
We need each other. And we're called to actually be an alternative society showing the world how to do this best. An alternative society imagined by the prophet Zechariah in chapter 8. He says this. This is what the Lord says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem each of them with cane in hand because of their age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. This is the alternative society where the young actually feel protected by the old and the old are actually delighting in the young. Where students can journey with wise older sages who are willing to take hold of a faith that's sturdy and where older generations are actually willing to learn from younger generations. We're called to model this well. And as we've sat and listened to different themes in the Psalms of Ascent, I've just noticed a few different themes, and I believe this, that the Psalms of Ascent present a vision of faith that younger generations are craving and older generations can model. That there are certain things, there's a vision of faith that our young people are absolutely craving and that you can model. And the first one is this, resilience in the midst of uncertainty. Resilience in the midst of uncertainty. Psalm 125 verses one to two says this, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. And this psalm is actually attributed to being written during the time of exile, right? So those who trust in the Lord, they're in exile. And exile for Israel was all about survival. It was about getting through to the next day. So you had to have resilience. It was, you were uncertain about what was going to happen the next day. You had to, there was the pressure to bend the knee to Babylon, right? There was the pressure to not worship other idols. You were trying to get to the next day, but you had this hope that those who trust in the Lord are like a mountain. And not just any mountain, Mount Zion, which was the city of refuge, the city of fortification. And that Mount Zion was actually not the highest mountain in that region. It was actually surrounded by other mountains that were higher than it, representing God's protection, representing God's, um, that he was emboldening you on your journey of faith, right? So you had this hope that one, one day God would make things right. And I can't imagine singing this on the way back to Israel. This was resilience. Times were uncertain for them. But the power to keep going, the power to trust and be like Mount Zion, the power to surrender, that God gets the final word when it comes to everything. And I, I just think about the, the next generation. I think about Generation Z. And I just want to point out some unique pressures they're facing. Now, don't hear me say this. Don't hear me say that their life or their upbringing is harder than yours. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, though, there are some unique pressures they're facing that maybe you didn't. And I think here's a few of them. Uh, there's the, the pressure to, to get into the right school, to have a healthy friend life, to be all in with their families, to get a job, be involved in church, to take piano lessons, to do travel sports, and not just do these things, but actually to excel in all of them. A lot of our young people don't feel like ordinary is an option. They see the lives on Instagram or on TikTok or on YouTube, and they don't believe ordinary is an option for them. That there's this pressure that they can't live a substandard life. And older generations, what we need to model to them is actually it's okay. That your life is not your own, that you were bought at a price, that you belong to Jesus, and you're called to, to trust and surrender, right? The psalm says that this is not about trying harder, taking control, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, but actually the only reason you're, only, you're able to stand firm is because God stands firm. That's resilience in the midst of uncertainty. 
But you actually don't receive resilience if you can't get quiet, which is our second thing. It's quiet in the war for attention. Psalm 131 says this, but I have calmed and I've quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. So the picture here, what the psalm is presenting is that we're called to be content. That once we get to the place of quiet, once we're able to sit with God and not actually need anything from him, do we find contentment? And there is a war for attention going on on our young people. That Generation Z and the up and coming generation, even younger, Generation Alpha, are the first generations in human history with a giant red X on their backs by giant corporate companies who are competing for their very attention. And they, they believe that if we can get their attention, then we can actually sell them an identity. And so no wonder there's an identity crisis in the next generation, right? They, are, they have this giant red X on their backs, everyone trying to get their attention in the war for attention. Look at me, listen to me, pay attention to me. If you don't do this, you're missing out. Comment on this, like this, repost this, subscribe to this, right? Do this. And there's these deep spiritual longings in the next generation which ought to be carefully cultivated and tended, which are being choked out by binge scrolling, by Netflix, by immersive gaming, deep spiritual longings, which they're called to find in the family of God, right? And these people trying to get your attention, young people, do not care about who you are. They do not care about what God says about you. They are trying to get you to be someone. They're trying to sell you an identity, but in the place of quiet, and when you calm and quiet yourself, when you spend time with yourself and with God, you get clear not only on who you are, but what you're called to. You get clear on your calling. There's a story in the life of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, he writes about in his book, Stride Towards Freedom. It was the beginning of the Montgomery bus boycott, and Rosa Parks had just been arrested. So the boycott was working. It was actually affecting the, the economy and it had an impact on Montgomery itself, right? And so he was getting death threats that started to come in, call off the boycott or die. And he would get as many as 40 phone calls that came in like that per day. And in the middle of this, Martin Luther King had been arrested for speeding, put in jail with the real fear of possibly being lynched. And so it reached an apex late Friday night, uh, January 27th, 1956. King came home, another long strategy session under his belt, and he found the kids in Coretta asleep. He paced and knocked about. His nerves were still on edge with what was happening. And presently the phone rang. And there was a sneering voice on the other end. It said, leave Montgomery immediately if you have no wish to die. So his fear surges, right? He hung up the phone, he walked to his kitchen, and with trembling hands, he put on a pot of coffee and he sank into a chair at his kitchen table. And I'm gonna read what he writes in his book. He says, I was ready to give up. With my cup of coffee sitting untouched before me, I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had all but gone, I decided to take my problem to God. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud. The words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. He said, I am here, taking a stand for what I believe is right. But now I'm afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership, God. And if I stand before them without strength, without courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. 
I've come to the point where I can't face it alone. And I want us to read this next part. It'll be on the screen. It says this, at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never experienced God before. With my, sorry. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. So it was in this moment of quiet, Martin Luther King Jr. gets the courage to keep going. He hears the voice of God because he creates space to be quiet. In the war for attention, here's my question. What if Martin Luther King never had this moment? What if instead of sitting down, And talking to God about what was going on, what he was feeling, he hopped on Twitter. Hashtag Montgomery bus boycott. What are people saying? What if he hopped on Netflix? Because he can't can't deal with the pain of that. He doesn't know what to do about it. What if he spent four hours gaming online? What if that moment of quiet never came for Martin Luther King Jr.? Would it be the same movement that we've seen it be today? I would say no. That it was in this moment of quiet, he got clear on his calling, on his identity, right? Younger generations, the invitation for you is to make quiet a consistent habit. To make quiet a consistent habit. And it's something you're going to have to fight for. This is not normal. This is not normal in our culture. And parents, the invitation for you is actually to free up a bit of their schedules so they can experience some of this. To maybe experience what it's like to be bored, right? You guys remember being bored? I'm I'm like the last age, the generation to remember that, right? And for all of us, it's in these moments of quiet do we get clear on what we're called to do, which leads me to my third point. It's waiting in the age of urgency, waiting in the age of urgency. Psalm 130 says this, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. I want to hone in on that phrase, more than watchmen wait for the morning. This idea of the watchman, it was a, a military term in that time. These were people who were not just sitting down, watching, right? They were not just sitting there, just waiting for things to happen. They were actually moving around the perimeter. They were walking through the vineyards. They were walking through the streets. They were looking out for robbers. They were looking out for enemies. They were working while they were waiting, They were watching and working. They were doing something. This was not a passive act to watch, right? And so in an act now, or you're gonna miss out kind of culture we live in, this psalm speaks to the the, the God-given agency to act partnered with the faith to wait. And young people, I recognize most of your life is just waiting, right? Right, when you're in middle school, I can't wait to get in high school, right? My life is gonna be so different when I'm in high school. I'm not gonna struggle with anything. And then you get to high school, You're like, man, I just can't wait to get my license. I'm gonna have freedom. I can do whatever I want when I get my license. And then when you get your license, you're like, man, I just can't wait to be 18. Then I can do whatever I want, even though I still live at home and my parents pay for everything, right? (laughs) And then you turn 18, you're like, man, I can't wait to get to college. The way I'm gonna live my life, I'm gonna show them, right? Right, it's gonna be different. I'm not gonna struggle, (laughs) And you're in college, you're like, man, I can't wait till I get my first job because I need some money, right? 
or I can't wait to get married, or I can't wait to, to get that promotion. Most of your life is spent waiting, and the temptation for our young people is just to passively wait as life passes them by. But what God is doing in our young people at this season of life is that he's actually preparing. That this, if you allow it to be, can be a season of preparation. It can be a season of preparation where God forms you, he builds character, he works in you, he allows you to build your relationship with him as you, and it prepares you for whatever comes when you get older. There's a moment in the life of Daniel that I find fascinating. Daniel was in the Old Testament. He was living in exile in Babylon, and he was probably brought to exile as a teenager. Um, There's incredible moments in his life, right? Just some incredible moments, dreams and visions. He shut the mouths of lions. He rose to leadership in Babylon. But I think one of the most powerful moments And the book of Daniel comes in chapter nine. It says this in verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of evening sacrifice. And I wanna think about that phrase, about the time of evening sacrifice, which means Daniel, as an adult, is still observing three daily times of prayer where he would get on his knees and pray the Shema. He's in exile. No one is forcing him to do this. Actually, he gets in trouble for it at one point. No one is is forcing him to get down on his knees and pray. Like, he continues to observe the time of prayer, which means Daniel's formation as a young person and as a teenager prepared him for life in exile. Right, so the things that would happen in his family, the things that they did together, that the connections he had, the formation that was taking place actually prepared him for every challenge that was going to take place in exile. And that's no different for you, young people. That if you will do it, you can see this time as a time of preparation. Will you build character? Will you make spiritual formation a priority? Will you seek out mentors, right? Will you work while you wait? Will you see it as preparation? What are you doing right now to prepare for exile? What are you doing right now to partner with God in that? As we close today, I wanna tell uh, the the story of two different students. The first one is a student. um, His parents were still married. He went to a private Christian school. Um, He got good grades. His family had everything that they needed or wanted, really. Everything you wanted as a high school student, he had. He had friends. He was a two-sport athlete. He was pretty popular. A lot of students knew his name. He was good at what he did. He got into his favorite school, the school that his mom and dad wanted him to get into, but also he wanted to get into. But something happened with this student. He, he came to youth group maybe a couple times a month. He would go to church every now and again if his family went, right? And, but something happened when he got to college. When he got to college in the first three months, he was presented with a different vision of faith or a, or a different vision of the good life than what he had growing up. And after three months on the college scene, three months um, engaging with different people, not being forced to go to church, he dropped away. He drifted from faith, and he's still not come back to faith. There's some fascinating research in Barna um, that says about 64% of our young people, that when they graduate from high school, they graduate from our faith. That's two-thirds of our young people. They're saying, actually, the faith I was presented with is not enough to withstand whatever I'm going to deal with later on. The second student 
um, had a pretty similar story. Uh, her parents were still together. Um, she was involved in theater, got decent grades. She was a pretty average student, right? She had good friends, but something happened when she was 16. When she was 16, she had this moment with God that she couldn't shake, that God spoke to her. And what happened after that, she surrounded herself with mentors. She surrounded herself with small group leaders. She invested. She saw her faith as something that she needed to make her own, that it wasn't just something that was going to happen to her. And she's still following Jesus today. And I want to argue that the one difference between these two students, it's one thing. One thing. It's not whether their parents were still married or divorced. It's not whether they went to public or private school. It's not whether they went to school or they were homeschooled. It wasn't whether, whatever way their parents voted. It didn't depend on playing sports versus not playing sports. There's one key difference. There's some research from Fuller Youth Institute that says every young person, if they're going to remain in faith, they need five key voices speaking into their life. Five key voices outside of their parents these are teachers, coaches, small group leaders, pastors who are saying, hey, I'm here for you. Hey, I believe in you. Hey, you can keep going. Whatever you need, I will be here for you. It's five key voices outside of their parents speaking into their life. And student two had those five key voices. In New Life Downtown, here's what I wanna say to you today. If you're an older generation I will say, I will submit to you that the success or the failure of our younger generations largely depends on how you think about the next generation, on how you choose to invest in them, how you talk about them. And so let me make a very clear ask. If you're in this room and you've sensed, man, I think God might call, be calling me to invest in the next generation, I just don't know how. Please come talk to me in the lobby afterwards. Our young people, will you be one of those five key voices for our people here at New Life Downtown? Will you be one of those voices shaping their life, earning the right to be heard? Will you do that for them? If you wanna get involved in our kids' ministry, in our student ministry, in some way, shape, or form, but you don't know how, come talk to me. Myself and some volunteers, we have donuts for you. We would love to come talk to you about what that looks like. We got, yeah, it's great. And here's the deal. You might be thinking, uh, well, I'm not young enough, I'm not cool enough, I'm not relevant enough, I don't know all the cool hip phrases, right? That's not what I'm asking for you. Can you show up? <laughs> Can you invest your life consistently? Can you listen to them more than you talk at them? Will you choose to invest? So if you will, come see me. And the second is this, for our young people, these five voices aren't just gonna come to you. You actually have to put yourself in spaces where you're going to be around them. You have to intentionally seek them out. You are not living in an age where church is normal. You're not living in an age where faith is central. It's, for a lot of you, it's, it's one of many things and not the central thing. But the one key difference that's gonna make, help you build a resilient faith is these five key voices. So if you're maybe a student in this room or you know a student and you wanna get plugged in, I would also love to meet you out there. Some of our volunteers and myself. We got a donut for you too, okay? We'd love to talk to you, um, connect with you. We would love to provide you with, with spaces and with wise older mentors who are willing to be one of those five key voices for you. That is the key difference between those two students. And for all of us, the challenge is to continue building towards being an alternative society where the young and the old can journey together. That when it comes to building a resilient faith, what younger generations are craving and what you can model 
is resilience in times of uncertainty. It's quiet in the war for attention, and it's waiting in the age of urgency. And so I just want to do something real quick. If you're a student in the room, would you pray or uh, stand up real quick? Any students in the room, just stand up. Maybe college-age students, too, if you're a student in the room, just stand up. Would you just stretch a hand over our young people? I just want to pray over our young people as we close today. Let's stretch a hand to them. Maybe if you're around them, put a hand on them. We're going to bless them. God, we thank you for how you're moving in, our, in the lives of our young people. We thank you that you are good, that you are faithful. God, I pray over each and every student in here that you would continue to call out their identity. You would provide them with one of those five key voices that might be in this room. God, I pray that you continue to, to speak to them, to guide them. God, provide them with people who, who can give them wisdom. God, I pray for parents in this room and families, that you would provide environments for them, give them ideas, and provide them with, with habits they can build into their own homes where formation takes place. God, I pray over our whole church right now that you would build us into a place where every generation can thrive. Praise pray in Christ's name, amen. And if there's historically been one place, if there's historically been one place in the world where the young and the old come together, it's the table. It's the table where it doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter where you come from, that the, 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 everything is level at the foot of the cross. So we're gonna, we're gonna uh, transition to the time of table right now. And for young and for old, the best that we end up doing is not leading someone to ourselves but leading someone to Christ. To saying, if we are of the older generation, even if, even if you're in your 20s and you're just looking back a decade, students, if you're in this space looking back to elementary schoolers or younger, or if we're in our 70s and up, the best that we end up doing is saying, look at me while I take you to Christ. Look at me while I follow Christ. Because the best that we can do is to model Christ's example of resilience and quiet in this space. And we do that every week and practice together. And we love it when the generations are together because then we start looking at each other in communion lines going, you're doing this in your 70s and 60s and 50s and 40s and 30s and 20s. We're doing this generationally through everything we've gone through, saying we're coming back to Christ over and over again. This is Jesus's table. And all who believe in Jesus as the true king of the world are welcome to receive regardless of your church background or church affiliation. If that doesn't describe you where you're at today, thank you for coming. Thanks for being here on a Sunday morning. We're honored that you're here. We encourage you, keep coming back. Keep asking questions about Jesus. But if you are ready to begin to follow Jesus today, maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time, we invite you to join with us now as we confess our sin and we confess and ask for forgiveness and we place our trust for salvation in him again. We do this through a corporate confession. The words will come up on the screen. Let's say it together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. 
For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. Beloved, it is my joy this morning to announce good news to you. Words that are true, not because I say them, but because of what God has done. So would you open up your hands and receive again this mercy of God. That Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. And this proves God's love toward us. So that in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. As those who have been raised to new life in Jesus, would you stand together now and greet those around you and share the peace that you have in Jesus with one another. We declare this truth, that Jesus is here. So lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right, all over this room. Let's just lift that up for his grace, his mercy, his faithfulness from generation to generation. God, it is a good and joyful thing to give thanks to you, the Father Almighty. You're the one who formed us in your image you breathed your life into us. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son to be faithful on our behalf. And it was on the night that he was handed over to suffering and death that our Lord Jesus Christ took bread. And when he had blessed it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup of wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of God's mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we proclaim together this mystery of our faith, that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that Christ will come again. This table is a place of remembrance and encounter. So as we've been doing this summer, we're gonna sing a prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to meet us in this moment now. Let's sing together. Holy Spirit, come. Holy
These are the gifts of God given for us, the people of God. As the ushers come forth and receive these for you, I challenge you to receive them in remembrance that Jesus has died for you and feed on him and by, in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. If this is your first time here, you can either watch those around you and how the flow of, of coming forward to receive communion works, or you can scan the QR code if that works for you too. If you're unable to come forward, I, just ask someone around you uh, to bring it back the elements to you. And let's serve one another in that way. This is our worship response, that he has been faithful from generation to generation and invited us again in unity and constancy to his work, to his life. Let's come and worship again now.
sing this together. Amazing love that welcomes me. The kindness of mercy that bought with blood wholeheartedly my soul undeserving.
everybody, my name is Oliver and I'm going to be a sophomore at Air Academy High School. Before we leave, I have a few all prayer teams available up front. Community teams will turn into the prayer teams. If you have anything you need prayer for, feel free to come down. They would be more than happy to pray with you about that. Second thing, we have the Kona ice truck outside today. So grab a snow cone, grab a friend. My favorite flavor is blue raspberry. Can I get an amen? Uh, the last thing, I'd like to send you out with a blessing. So if you would, open your hands to receive the blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face sh shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and, be gr and give you peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See you around town and back here next week, New Life Downtown.